Uh, well, as always, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bibles um, or a phone, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. And if you're taking notes on your phone and kind of want to bookmark a few other uh, places I'm going to go to in Scripture today, uh, you can bookmark Matthew 6, 25, uh, and you can also uh, go ahead and bookmark Philippians 4, 6, because I'll be there as well. But uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 25, and each week what we've been doing is once I get to verse 22 to 25, we've been reading that together in one voice. Uh, we want to really commit these verses to memory throughout this series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. So um, I'll signal us and then we'll read that portion together. But Galatians 5, 16 to 25, this is the reading of God's Word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And let's read this together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. May every word uh, that comes forth today be from your heart, and may we receive it. Uh, would you open our ears to listen um, and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we're in a series on what the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 uh, refers to as the fruit of the Spirit, which basically are the nine qualities or characteristics that the Holy Spirit produces supernaturally in the life of every believer. And we're going through this list that we just read one at a time. We're looking at each one through the lens of freedom. Because as 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the idea is this, that, that God's heart has never been to restrict us, but to free us to free us to live in the abundance of his love and grace, to free us from our destructive mindsets and patterns of thinking, to free us to live the life Jesus intended us to live. And uh, in week one, we talked about love as being a freedom from selfishness. And then last week, we looked at joy as being a freedom from hopelessness. And today, we're going to talk about peace as being a freedom from anxiety. Okay, peace, freedom from anxiety. You know, as a pastor, anytime you preach, you're always asking yourself, you know, how applicable is this sermon going to be for our congregation in our specific context? And it's very rare that you get to preach on a topic that you know with 100% certainty that everyone in your church is dealing with. 
And I would say anxiety is one of those things. Uh, if, you know, you might be saying, well, I, I don't think I'm really an anxious person. If you're not anxious, I guarantee you there's somebody in your life who does struggle with anxiety. It's no secret that we live uh, in the most anxious generation ever, and it's not even close. Uh, a recent study showed that the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Okay, and that was pre-pandemic. In the past three years, we've seen anxiety and stress reach unprecedented heights across the globe. And honestly, we didn't even need uh, any kind of quantitative or qualitative data to tell us that. Just look around. People are swimming in anxiety. Every person I talk to tells me they're stressed. And there's a lot to be stressed about. We're stressed about the economy. We're stressed about our jobs. We're stressed about not having a job. We're stressed about uh, classes. We're stressed about our grades. We're stressed about the future. We're stressed about marriage. We're stressed about singleness. We're stressed about school shootings, hate crimes, inflation, politics, health, natural disasters. The list is endless. All right, there was an LA Times article this week with the title, Does Anyone Else Feel Like They're Drowning? And I was like, yes, I do. And the worst part about it is that we then choose to be glued to devices that make sure we stay connected to that anxiety 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's borderline masochistic, right? You wake up in the morning now, and even before you get your morning coffee, what do you do? Got to reach for that morning dose of anxiety, right? You go to sleep at night, but before you go to bed, what do you do? Well, I need that anxiety before I go to bed. Right? And, and for some of us, you know, I would say, you know, like we would all understand that we're not built to handle all the problems of the entire world and everyone's opinions about everything just buzzing around in our back pocket. We weren't built for it. And yet this is where we are. Right? If it's not the news telling us that the world as we know it is falling apart, it's social media telling us that what we have and who we are isn't enough, that our lives aren't measuring up to some standard, that there's so much that we have to do and so much we have to achieve, we're addicted to anxiety, right? And some of us, um, I know not a lot of parents are in this service, but, you know, some of us, uh, you know, if you think that's masochistic, some of us here decided it'd be a good idea to have these things called children, right? Which is basically anxiety incarnate. Okay, these little human beings whose goal in life is to keep their parents stressed and anxious at all hours of the day, right? What if something happens to my kids? You know, what, what if they get hurt? Where am I going to send them to school? What if they get bullied? What if they're weird, right? So much anxiety all the time. And, and the thing about anxiety is that it always works in the hypotheticals, right? It's very rarely rooted in reality. The other day, uh, I was on Instagram, I was getting my daily anxiety fix, right, and I saw uh, a friend's Instagram story and he posted a story of his son who was playing baseball and his son is five years old and he was really good. And I DM'd him and I was like, I was like, man, you're getting him started early. He was like, dude, this isn't early, we're late. Everywhere, everyone where I live gets their kids started in sports when they're three. And I was like, what? immediately was googling how early should you start your kids in sports 
right? Within 30 minutes, I had every golf league, baseball league, t-ball league within a five-mile radius of my home pulled up on my laptop, and I realized all the fall registration was full, and I started to panic. I, was, I started to spiral in this, like, black hole of anxiety. I was like, oh, my goodness. My kids aren't going to play sports. They're not going to be athletic. They're not going to have friends. And if they don't have friends, they're going to have to find community with bad people. And if they find community with bad people, they're not going to study and they're not going to go to college. If they don't go to college, they're not going to get a job. And if they don't get a job, they're going to find other ways to make ends meet. They're going to do something shady and end up in jail. And it's all because of me. Because I didn't sign them up for t-ball. Right? And this is how anxiety works. And we've all been there. We've all spiraled to worst-case scenario thinking, right? And it's crazy because anxiety is one of those things that doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone around us. Anxiety is the most contagious thing ever, right? COVID has nothing on anxiety, right? You can walk into a room and make everyone in that room anxious within seconds. One look, your body language, your tone of voice, an exasperated sigh. It's crazy what the anxiety of one person can do to a vibe of a situation, of a workplace, of a home. Um, Edwin Friedman has this really great book that I would recommend to everyone. It's called A Failure of Nerve. And his basic premise is that in this world that's so full of chaos and uncertainty, the most important quality a person can have, the most important quality, is the ability to be a non-anxious presence. To be the kind of person who isn't always reacting to all the stimuli that's happening, who isn't always reacting to everything that's happening to them, who doesn't get overly worked up about things that are outside his or her control, because anxiety is a sickness that, if not checked, will absolutely be transmitted to those around us. It will be transmitted to our kids, to our parents, to our friends, to our significant others, and it will wreak havoc on our lives and our relationships. Now, the problem, I would say, is that uh, because anxiety and stress have become so embedded in our psyche, they've become so, so much a part of our way of life that it's hard to imagine that you and I could actually be free of anxiety. It's almost unthinkable. And yet, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is very clear when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he repeats that command two more times in the next nine verses. In Philippians 4, 6, another very famous passage, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. There's that word peace, the same word Paul uses in Galatians 5. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In both instances, freedom from anxiety is not a suggestion. It's a directive. It's a command. Do not be anxious about anything, meaning that there is nothing in our lives that should warrant anxiety. Now, when you read something like that, it's really offensive, right? Because the worst thing you could do to someone having a panic attack or the worst thing you could do to someone who's really stressed out is to say, why are you stressing? Don't be stressed out. Nothing to worry about, right? You can try it and let me know what happens, okay? 
Worst thing you could do. And yet this is exactly what Jesus and the Apostle Paul are saying. Stop being anxious. Well, how can I not be anxious when I'm reading reports about people getting assaulted in broad daylight? How can I not be anxious when my coworkers aren't pulling their weight and my job is on the line? How can I not be anxious when I literally have no more savings and I have to pay rent next month? How can I not be anxious about my future when the economy is the way it is? Am I just supposed to sit here and do nothing? It's a great question. Well, the most literal translation of the phrase, do not be anxious, used in both Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, is actually the phrase, take no thought. Take no thought. And what this means is that there's a difference between having a thought and then taking that thought everywhere you go. Allowing that thought to control you. There's a difference between being concerned about something and constantly feeding that concern. Allowing that concern to dictate our mood and our behavior. Right? We should be concerned about the things that are happening in the world. We should be concerned about injustice. We should be concerned about our health and our safety. We should be concerned about our families. But what Jesus and the Apostle Paul are saying is do not let that concern control you. Do not let your thoughts hold your hearts and your minds hostage. Put another way, the very reason you and I are anxious has nothing to do with what's out there, and it has everything to do with what's in here. You know, we would like to think it has to do with what's out there, which is why we try to quell our anxiety by changing our circumstances or changing people or removing certain things from our lives. But to be, to, not, to be anxious is to take our thoughts everywhere we go. It's something that happens in here. It's when our mind amplifies everything that's happening in the world and in our lives and then convinces us that we don't have what it takes to handle it. And therein lies the root issue of why we are drowning in anxiety. We have placed the sole burden of responsibility to take care of all the chaos, all the confusion, all the conflict in our lives on our own shoulders. And so the moment something happens that is outside of our control, the moment something happens that is beyond our understanding, we start to panic. We start to feel crushed by the weight because we believe we're the ones responsible for our lives. Right? There's, uh, I don't know if there's any qualitative data to back this up or quantitative data to back this up, but I'm convinced that older siblings are far more anxious than younger siblings, right? I just know it, okay? I talk to enough older siblings, and I'm an older sibling myself. Why? Because from a very young age, you've been told you're responsible for your little brother or little sister. You take care of it. Ah, like, you know, they're young. You do it. And when you grow up believing that you have to carry the weight of the world on your own shoulders when you believe that you are responsible for everyone around you, that's when your thoughts get a hold of you. That's when your thoughts can begin to control you and hold you hostage. Well, if the source of our anxiety isn't out there, and if the source of our anxiety is actually in here, then the source of our peace can't be out there either. But we think it is, right? We think, like, if this person just listened to me, I'd have peace. And you might be right, but that peace is temporary only insofar as that person listens to you. If I could just get a job, I'd be at peace. That is, until you have to deal with that coworker you can't stand. 
I talk to a lot of people, they want to buy a home. They're like, if I could just save up to buy a home, I'd be at peace. Until you start having issues and you have to deal with it yourself. Right? We all want this peace and we think it comes from the outside, but that peace is flimsy. That peace is fragile. Give me a peace that doesn't wither the moment my circumstances change. Give me a peace that isn't dependent on things going my way. Give me the kind of peace that allowed Jesus to sleep soundly in the middle of a raging storm while everyone around him was freaking out. Give me that kind of peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that is supernatural and illogical. A peace that is constant and unwavering. This is the kind of peace Paul is talking about in Galatians 5. A peace that comes not from our external circumstances, but from a deep confidence and trust that regardless of my circumstances, God is in control of every single detail of my life. In Philippians 4, when Paul says, do not be anxious, uh, he follows it up with this. He says, but in every situation, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. That's weird, right? Like, why would you thank God before he grants your request? Why would you bring your requests with thanksgiving? Because you're saying, God, whatever you do with this prayer request, whether you answer it in the way I want you to or not, I trust that you're going to do what's best for me. Whether I get the answer I want, whether you fix my problem, I know and I can approach you with full confidence that you're going to be working for my good. And then Paul says, when you do this, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say when you do this, your prayers will be answered. He says you'll find a peace that's beyond our understanding. When Jesus came to this earth, he stepped into a world that had not seen peace in centuries. It was a world ravaged by violence and war, injustice and bloodshed. Even the phrase Pax Romana, peace in Rome, which was a popular phrase at that time, was kind of ironic because it meant you could only have peace if you were on the right side of Rome, if you were on this side of the sword. Everyone else didn't have access to that peace. So even then, people thought peace was something connected to something out there. Even then, people thought it was connected to Rome, something external. And this is why when Jesus came, people expected him to secure their peace by overthrowing Rome. But what they didn't realize was that their biggest problem wasn't out there, it was in here. Their biggest problem and our biggest problem, believe it or not, is not the government. It's not our job. It's not our family. It's not our friend. It's that we aren't right with God. And we can't experience the peace of God unless we make peace with God. We need the kind of peace only God can give. But the problem is, you and I on our own can't be in a right relationship with Him which has always been humanity's biggest problem. And this is why Jesus came, to remove every barrier that keeps us from being in a right relationship with God, that keeps us wondering where we stand, that keeps us living in worry and fear and insecurity. On the cross, Jesus Christ lost his peace. Every hypothetical situation, every worst-case scenario you've ever dreamed of, Jesus Christ actually endured it. Humiliation, rejection, shame, physical and emotional pain and anguish, all of it was heaped 
on Jesus' shoulders. Why? So that you and I could make peace with God and as a result, experience the peace of God in every situation and every circumstance. And this same God who did not withhold his own son to solve our greatest problem, a problem you and I could not handle on our own, now lives in us. This means that it doesn't matter what we're going through. We don't have to carry that weight. We don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders because Jesus carries it for us. If anxiety is the voice in our heads constantly asking what if, peace is the voice of God constantly reminding us of what is. If anxiety is the voice in our heads constantly telling us what if, what if you can't fix this problem? What if something goes wrong? What if your life doesn't go according to the timeline you've set for yourself? Peace is the voice of God saying this is what is. What is true is that I will never leave you or forsake you. What is true is that I will never let a hair from your head fall to the ground. What is true is that nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is so much freedom and confidence knowing that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, who is in absolute control over every detail of our lives. You know, a couple years ago, um, I was cooking for my family. Okay, got to throw that in there to show you how good of a husband I am, right? I was cooking for my family, and um, I took a potato peeler, okay, and instead of peeling the potato, I sliced my index finger, okay? I just straight down. Um, and it was one of those, like, cartoon moments where, like, the blood just squirts in the air. You know, it, did almost, it almost didn't seem real, right? And I, I started panicking. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. Right? And I took, I, I, got a, I got a paper towel, I put it on it, immediately soaked the paper towel uh, within seconds, got a Band-Aid, immediately soaked through the Band-Aid, right? And I, I was like, oh my gosh, am I feeling faint? Like, I, I, I'm dying. I'm actually dying. My wife was like, you need to go to urgent care, like, immediately, okay? So I get to urgent care. I'm waiting in the, I'm waiting, in the waiting room. I'm like, come on, come on, I'm dying here, okay? You need to put me at the front of the line. You know, I got all this blood still coming out, my finger, and finally I get in there. Doctor walks in, and, you know, he, he's like, ooh, it's, you know, ugly cut you got there. And he starts treating it, takes out all his, you know, instruments and starts treating it, um, putting gauze on it, some medicine on it. And he's like, so what do you do for work? I'm like, why are you making small talk with me? I'm dying, right? My, my, my finger is going to get amputated here, right? And, and he's just trying to have a normal conversation with me. And, and suddenly I realized, doctor's not worried. This is just a Tuesday for him, right? He's been here before. He's seen this before. And all of a sudden, I, I start to feel at peace because I'm like, oh, he's seen this. He's got this. Whatever it is that you feel is so devastating in your life right now, whatever you feel that is making you panic and keeping you up at night, know that that's a Tuesday for God. The one who put the planets in motion, the one who put every star in its proper place, you think God is not in control of your life. That's what it means to have peace. Well, how do we cultivate more of that in our lives, this peace that is readily available to us through the Holy Spirit? We think. 
Like what? We think. And let me explain. In both Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, after the command, do not be anxious about anything, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul follow it up with a command to think. In Matthew 6, one verse after he says, do not be anxious about your life, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That word look is a word translated from the Greek to mean think, to consider, to gaze at something for a long period of time. A couple verses later, in verses 28 and 29, he says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Consider. Think about it. He's saying before you let your thoughts take a hold of you, you should take a hold of your thoughts. The Apostle Paul uses this same idea in Philippians 4.8. He writes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, get this, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When's the last time you stopped in the middle of your day and rather than grab your phone, you stopped and thought? where you paused and you thought about God and everything he does to make this universe go round. What Jesus and the Apostle Paul are saying is if you want the peace of God, you have to think about him. You have to think about who he is and what he's done. Right now, you're tempted to look at this storm in front of you. Right now, you're tempted to think about everything you need to do. I'm sure some of you are already getting antsy because you know Monday's around the corner and you have a million things on the task list. But Jesus is saying, if you want my peace, you have to look at me. You have to look at me. You know, um, everyone knows I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. And, uh, you know, we're doing great right now. Keep my fingers crossed. I hope we go to Super Bowl this year. But one of the worst things about being in ministry is you never get to watch Sunday football, okay? And I remember a couple years ago, we were bidding for a playoff berth. And, you know, thankfully, we have some congregation members who are Eagles fans, so I knew I had to be at church. And I said, dude, can you record the game for me? And, you know, I'll, watch it. I'll go to your place after church and we'll watch it together. And he was like, okay, very important game. Um, well... You know, I, I go to his house um, after the game. He's like, I got it ready for you. He turns it on, and from the first snap, it's just horrible, right? I'm, I'm like, this is, you know, if you're, if you're an Eagles fan, you will know we always think we're going to lose, okay? We just have a losing mentality, okay? And, and I'm watching this game, and every, like, fumble, interception, I'm, I'm like, come on! Right? And I, my blood pressure is rising and I'm breathing really heavily. And this is happening. And then I look over at my friend and he's like looking at his phone. He goes to the fridge to grab a glass of water. And I'm like, wait a second. He knows something. <laughs> he, he knows something I don't know. He knows what the final score is. And all of a sudden I feel my body start to relax. And crazy things are happening in the game. And every time something bad happens, I look over at him and he's just like, I'm like, yes, this is good, right? 
but I had to look at him. Sometimes in life, there are so many things hitting you at once. I mean, you, you've turned on the news. It's just like a whirlwind of things. And God is saying, you want my peace? You got to give me room in your mind. You got to look at me. And the idea is this. Every time you start to worry about your future, before you give that thought a foothold, before you give that thought legs, stop and think. Think about where you were five years ago, where you were in that exact same place. You had no idea what the future was going to look like. And think about the way God guided your every step and brought you to where you are today. Every time you start to worry about not being able to pay the bills or provide for your family, stop and think. Stop and think about the moments that God provided for you and provided for your family. Every time you start to think, I'm going to be lonely for the rest of my life, think about those pivotal moments in your life when God surrounded you with a community of brothers and sisters to love on you, to encourage you, to support you, to be present for you in your worst moments. Stop and think. Every time a thought enters your mind and tries to control you and pull you into anxiety, stop and think about who God is and what he's done. We need to make this as much of a habit as we do grabbing our phones. We do that without thinking now. But there's no way we're going to get together, think about God for one hour a week on Sunday, and, and even fathom that that's going to make a dent in the anxiety we're connected to all week long every hour, every moment. The more we gaze at God, the more we will experience the peace that is already living inside us. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, during college and for a few years post-college, uh, I worked as a therapeutic assistant uh, for children with disabilities. And, and one of my students was a 16-year-old girl diagnosed with bipolar disorder, autism, and PTSD. Okay, and and she had an incredible team around her to care for her around the clock. And, and she had this extremely strict routine. So, so meals had to be given to her in the exact same way. Her schedule was lined out by the minute. You know, every week at the beginning of the week, we went through every single day and made sure, like, nobody skipped a beat. And, and, and the, the goal was to kind of create this system that, to, to, to maximize predictability and routine in her life. Well, once in a while, like, you know, someone on the team would get sick and a sub would need to come in or sometimes they'd bring in someone new to be on the team who wasn't quite familiar with all the nuances and all the rules they had to follow. Um, and, the, and, and this student um, happened to be allergic to gluten. And one of this, these new team members did not know that. And we were eating pizza upstairs and she decided she was just going to take a slice of pizza and bring it to her downstairs. And she looked at the pizza and she started to panic. She was like, what? Like, something was, like, wrong with the system, right? And when she starts to panic, like, she, she doesn't know what to do with herself. She starts um, looking around. She starts running around the home. She locks herself in the bathroom. She grabs whatever is around her, grabs it really tight, clenches her fists, throws things. I mean, it's, it's like pandemonium at that point. And every time when that happens, her mom runs down the stairs grabs her by the face, and she says, look at me. It's okay, it's okay, look at me, look at me, look at me. And she's writhing, she's still trying to get out, her, her hands are still trying to grab things around her, and her mom's just like, look at me. And slowly but surely, 
Her body starts to relax. Her breathing starts to slow down. She starts to loosen the grip on the things she's holding on to because she knows mom is there. This is the peace of God. I feel like every day we're running around panicking about this and that, worrying about every hypothetical scenario, wondering what the future is going to look like, and God is saying, look at me. Look at me. I'm here. King David in Psalm 27, he's surrounded by an army ready to attack him at any moment. And he says, one thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I love this. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. He doesn't pray, get this army away. He doesn't say, pray for protection. He doesn't say, come fix my problem. He says, one thing I ask and one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon his beauty. He said, I know that if my eyes can just be fixed on you, you're going to keep me safe. You're going to hold me. You're going to remind me that you're here. This is the supernatural peace of God that surpasses all understanding. May this be our prayer this morning. Let's pray. I just want to give us a moment. Because I know um, a lot of us come into service and we're just detoxing from the anxiety from the past six days. And especially for some of you in this service, the anxiety of this morning. Running around, setting things up, taking care of kids, you know, doing, you know, taking care of making sure they're safe. And, and, and it's so easy to come into the space and we just, we don't even know it. And we're just like balls of stress. And the first thing I want us to do is just take a deep breath. And I want you to hear the voice of God asking a question with a still, small voice. Why are you worried? What's making you anxious right now? And I want you to bring that just honestly to God whatever it is. And second, I want you to hear his voice saying, look at me. It's okay. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look at everything I've done for you. I gave you my life. Look at me.
Heavenly Father, I know that many of us sitting here in this room, we feel like we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. And it's crushing sometimes. It's overwhelming. If it's not something happening in the world, it's something happening in our relationships, it's something happening at work, at school. And sometimes it feels like it's too much to handle. And in those moments, I pray that we would cling to you, that we would gaze at your beauty and your goodness your kindness, your mercy, your grace, and your love. Help us to fix our eyes on you. And I pray that in doing that, you would guard our hearts and our minds with a peace that only you can give. You promised us. You said, I came to give you peace. Peace not as the world gives, a different kind of peace, a supernatural peace, an illogical peace. that that peace would overwhelm us this morning we love you we thank you for this word in jesus name we pray amen